Good morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? Well, great. Let's stand and worship together. We've got some, some awesome people from our student worship team leading us today. Woo! How's that sound? That sound good? Amen. Well, his word tells us to enter his courts with praise. Y'all ready to do that this morning? Let's try that again. Are you ready to praise him this morning? Yes. Oh, I'm 
good to be together. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Westgate Chapel. We are so happy to have you with us today. My name is Julie and I'm on the praise and worship team here at Westgate. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're a guest, we are especially excited that you're here. We hope you'll find Westgate, a place where you can easily and deeply get connected into relationships that will help you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. One of the first steps to getting connected into the life of our church is to fill out a connect card. You'll find it in the pew in front of you. So take a minute to fill that out and at the end of the service, head out to the main entrance to our guest center where there's a host who has some simple information about how to get connected at Westgate along with a small gift just to say thank you for being here. Even if you've been attending Westgate for a while, we'd love to invite you to fill out the Connect card as well. Let us know if you have any prayer requests because we love the opportunity to pray for our church family each week. You can drop your card in the offering bucket when it is passed later in the service. As a reminder, you can also find the Connect card on our Westgate app, along with the sermon notes and information on all the different things that are happening around the church. Be sure to check the app often as it's the best place to stay connected with Westgate. So now let's take a moment to hear about some of the upcoming events here at our church. Are you new to Westgate? Then you're invited to the New People Party. Join us on June 25th after the second service for lunch. Meet some of our staff, connect with other new people, and learn a little about Westgate. Sign up at westgatechapel.org events to let us know you're coming. We can't wait to meet you. Next Sunday is Together Sunday. That means that our whole church family will worship together. And next week is extra special because we'll be celebrating all that God did during VBS. We'll hear exciting updates, watch the premiere of the highlight video, and sing the VBS theme song written by our very own Westgate worship team. We believe that it's vital for our kids and students to see that they are part of the larger church body. What an incredible way to pass on our faith to the next generation. It'll be an extra exciting day that we will all enjoy. For parents with kiddos who need to wiggle while they worship, our live stream will be available in the refinery. This morning will be an amazing time of praying for members of our church family and worshiping together. There are so many exciting things happening today at Westgate, and we're so glad you joined us. Enjoy the service. Good morning, church. How are you today? Good. It is good to be here. Uh, if we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimrun. I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate, and I'm just uh, delighted that you've chosen to worship with us today. Uh, we have got some really awesome and special things that we want to do as part of our worship service this morning uh, that's a little different. We have so many things over the next two weeks that are going to be going on that we want to specifically be praying over together as a church. Uh, lots of opportunities to share the gospel, and we can think of no better thing that to do than collectively be praying over these things together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite a slew of people up here on stage. We have got our graduating uh, graduates. You can welcome them as they come. We, uh, we also have our Costa Rica missions team that is going to be coming up and also our middle school serve team. And so if you are on any of those, come on up here and join us on stage. Welcome them all as they come uh, this morning. Awesome. It is, uh, it is uh, quite 
quite a thing that we have going uh, over these next couple of weeks, but we wanted to begin specifically uh, a number of our graduates are graduating. Pastor Steve couldn't be here. He is actually doing the wedding this weekend, I believe, of a former student out of state. And so uh, we have one of our youth leaders here that is also going to represent one of our elders, Paul Eriks. But um, we have so many kids that are, are graduating, and these ones that are here with us this morning, you guys are all done, right? Does it feel good? Does it feel great? Awesome. And uh, we wanted to take some time to just pray over them, recognizing uh, just they are moving into a new season and a new stage of life that is going to have so many great opportunities for them as they continue to walk with Jesus. And so the way I want to do this this morning is a little different from the norm. I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, to either as an individual or find little groups of people around you, whatever you're comfortable with, to take some time to just quietly pray for about a minute to a minute and a half over each of these students, and uh, we have some prayer prompts that we're going to put on the screen here for you, and ask specifically that you would pray for these things, that the graduates, uh, as they go off to college, would find a, a home church that they will continue to connect in, uh, where they can be challenged and growing in their faith. Pray that the graduates will also stay rooted and firm in their faith as they start a new phase of life. Many of you will probably agree with me in this statement, but I remember for me, when I went into uh, college, it was a, a a time where my faith was challenged to an even greater level uh, with so many different things. And so we want to be praying for them over that. And then also praying that graduates uh, also would bring the gospel to their new colleges, to their jobs and friends, and have boldness in sharing the good news of Jesus. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to take just a moment right where you are to pray again as an individual or in groups. Pray out loud for each of these uh, students that are up here. And in a, just a minute, uh, Paul Ericks will share, uh, will pray and wrap this time specifically in prayer. So let's begin praying now. God, you are good, so good. Thank you for these seniors here this morning. Thank you for who they are as a part of Westgate, the community, the leadership, the friendship, the encouragement that they bring to us. I pray as they kind of take a step into a new journey that uh, you uh, send people into their lives to encourage them to Find a church home, get involved, and continue to abide in you and to lean into you. Um, we are thankful for who they are uh, and who you are in their lives. Uh, we love that. Um, we just ask that as they move forward into this next season, uh, that they can find a church home to uh, get involved in and serve in. Um, and they can be reminded that uh, it's their call to serve you and... Um, to continue to spread your word. We love you. Amen.
Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, the next group that we're going to take some time to pray over is that we have an awesome Costa Rica missions team that is going to be going out uh, here this week. And so I'm going to ask them to kind of step forward. But our Costa Rica team, you've been hearing a little bit about it. We, as part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, are partnering with Inkalink, which is one of their ministries uh, for short-term missions all throughout uh, South America. And uh, this group of students is going to be heading down on Friday uh, to spend a week in Costa Rica sharing the good news of Jesus uh, with a number of people. And uh, I'm super excited. My daughter gets to go. Woo, woo. We're, we're excited for this entire group and want to pray specifically over these things. Pray that the Costa Rica team will be a blessing to the local CNMA church and the communities that they serve. Pray specifically that the Costa Rica team would also have open hearts to hear what God is trying to teach them through this trip. You guys know, if you've ever been on a mission trip, that many times God teaches you some of the most important lessons in your own life when you get out of your own comfort zone and move into those places where you got to really trust him. So uh, I'd just be praying that over them and pray as well that God would be honored by the way uh, that our Costa Rica team acts and speaks within the team and also to the people that they are serving. And I'll add in, pray that they have many opportunities to share the gospel and that they will have the boldness to do so. And so, well, again, we're going to ask you to take a minute to a minute and a half to pray over them. And uh, then Julianne, our outreach and missions director, will uh, close us in prayer. Let's pray together. Gracias Dios por nuestro equipo que van a Costa Rica esta semana. Gracias Dios por nuestra iglesia que, que quiere enviar la gente a barrios aquí en Toledo y a naciones como Costa Rica y beyond. Uh, thank you God for this church. We are so privileged to send this team again that ministers here in Toledo but also to the nations like Costa Rica again it's your church your global church that we love being a part of and we love partnering with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Costa Rica and we are excited to see what you're going to do both this next week what you've already been doing thank you God in this team what you're going to do while they're on the ground in Costa Rica and then after God we're uh, coming with anticipation, expectation of you moving in our team's lives and hearts, and that we will be great storytellers for your glory of what you're doing and continuing to do. We know it's much more than a trip, God. We know that this is a part of a story you're writing in each of the 24 team members' lives and in this church, and we are excited to see what is to come through Costa Rica, whether we're sending some of these people back there or um, here to our community or to other countries that don't have access to the gospel, God. This, you're what it's all about, and you're the big deal, and we're excited to, to see what you're going to do. todas las cosas en el nombre de Jesús. Amén. And we have uh, one more group that we're going to ask to move to the front, and that is our middle school serve students. And... Uh, 
Pastor Dan is also, uh, couldn't be here. Again, our scheduling and the way this needed to work, he is away. Uh, it's his bachelor party, people, and uh, <laughs> we're giving him a pass on this one. <laughs> the wedding is coming quick, so we're excited for that. But. You know, um, we have got an awesome group of middle students every year uh, for the past many years. Pastor Dan has taken uh, our students down to partner with his old home church in Warren, Ohio, and they partner together serving the community there. And what's exciting, I believe it's like next year, potentially they're going to come up here and serve in our community. Super excited about that. But these students are going to be going down and serving in that community and sharing the love of Jesus with a number of different people. And you'll see the prayer prompts here for them as well as we commission them this morning morning. Would you pray for unity between Westgate and the Northmar Church students as they uh, merge into one group uh, and uh, for the week? Would you also pray uh, for Jesus conversations with non-believers and boldness for each of these students as they have the opportunity to share uh, their love of Jesus with others? And then pray that the Holy Spirit would pierce their hearts and that students would come back changed. And so let's take just a few moments to pray. And then one of our youth leaders, Josh Henry, is also going to close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day and this opportunity to uh, come together and uh, worship you. God, I pray that in this uh, on, uh, this trip, the serve trip, that we have uh, many opportunities to just uh, shout your name from the rooftops and just glorify you. That these kids are a light and um, that in every situation, whether it's uh, they're getting tired, that they're just given strength. Um, give them the words to speak to the people around them that might not be believers and just uh, glorify your name, Lord. Uh, I pray that it's a seamless transition into a, a place that they're unfamiliar with, that the uh, kids and that they're working alongside from the uh, Northmar Church, that they just become great friends, and that it's just a, one awesome connection of churches, and that we just glorify your name, Lord. Uh, I just pray that we have safe travels on the trip, and uh, that amazing conversation comes out of it. Lord, in your uh, great name, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Well, we have one more thing this morning, which many of you are very aware of, is that this coming week is our Vacation Bible School week here at the church, and uh, we are super pumped for Vacation Bible School. Marlena, tell us, tell us a little bit about what's happening this week. Yeah, so we have talked about it for a long time, but we are finally here, and we have 258 kids pre-registered, which is the most we've ever had, and we expect to see probably 20 to 40 more show up. Tomorrow morning, and we have 130 volunteers who are pouring this next week of exhaustion and goldfish and whatever they have to give, they are giving it. And we are doing it because we want these kids to hear the good news about Jesus. And so we ask that you would pray for us and that you would um, just remember us from 9 to 12:30, or even before in the middle of the night, whenever you wake up in the shower, whatever works for you. Pray for us because this time is a time that God can change not only kids, but families for his name. 
Well, and we, uh, we have a number of prayer prompts on the screen, but I just want to say if you are uh, going to be working at VBS this week, would you just please stand for a moment so that we can recognize you? Go ahead. Don't be shy if you're going to be working. All right. Awesome. Please, please stay standing with us because we want as a congregation to not only be praying over the students that will be here, but also each of these teachers and workers that God would powerfully use them in the lives of these children. Pray for the kids who don't know yet, no, don't yet know Jesus, that they would come to faith in him. Pray for kids that do know Jesus, that they would deepen their faith and grow uh, in him. And as well, be praying for our teachers, be praying for those opportunities that they have uh, to be sharing the gospel and that they would have endurance and all of the strength that they need as they move through this week. So let's take a minute again to just pray over this vacation Bible school and then Marlena will close us in prayer. God, I selfishly want to linger here for much longer than we actually have because I know that you are going to do great things this week and not for Westgate to shine, Lord, but for you to shine. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would do a work and not only the lives of the children that are going to be here, but the families that they're linked to and the volunteers are here, Lord, that you would soften all the hearts that you would be found famous among us. And that when we meet in this place tomorrow morning, that yours is the only name that matters. And that we ask that you would just go before us. You tell us in scripture that you can level the mountains. And so we ask for you to do that. We ask for you to remove any obstacle, distraction from the people's hearts, from these kids who desperately need to know your name and know that you have created them with a purpose and that you have created them from inception and that you want nothing more for them to call you father. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with us, that you would help all of these people to recall, uh, to remember, to pray for us as we minister for your youngest child. Lord, we love you and we praise you and you give it, we give it all to you because it is for you. Amen. Amen. Well, church families, you think about it. Part of our five-year vision, we have said, is to have deep roots and a broad reach. And over these next couple of weeks, we are literally sending people into our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. Praise God. And I just want to encourage you and remind you whether it's for VBS in this coming week or for each one of these individuals up here, that you would commit yourselves to praying that God would do a mighty thing and that God would also lead people to know his son, Jesus Christ, through them. So thank you again for praying with us this morning and commissioning these teams. Now, as they exit, I would love for you to stand up and to greet one another. Say hi to somebody you haven't said hello to yet this morning as we continue worship.
The one who 
us be able to gather here today. Thank you for um, just showing up, um, showing off always, all the time. Um, I thank you that we're a church where the younger generations are able to minister to the older generations and vice versa. Um, just thank you, Lord. It's so wonderful. I pray that um, you bless Rob as he's speaking today um, and that the words that come out of his lips are yours and only yours. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, uh, if we could take our offering today, I think the buckets are on the right side of you. I could be wrong. Um, thank you, church. As we uh, take our morning offering and uh, just give back to the Lord as an act of worship, would you also again just thank our student worship team for <clears throat> uh, leading us this morning. Love seeing how God has gifted them and uh, just the opportunity that they have uh, here within our body of Christ to be able to use the giftedness God has given uh, as they worship him. Well, <clears throat> again, I'm thankful that you are here <clears throat> Uh, and worshiping with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, can I encourage you to pull those out? And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7 together this morning. So go ahead and turn there. And hopefully as you came in, you also received uh, some sermon notes, got those off of the table, and you can use those to follow along. If you didn't get them, uh, you also, if you have uh, our Westgate Chapel app on your phone, you can uh, follow along with the notes there and actually fill them all in as we go. So that's just another way to stay uh, kind of connected and uh, to look back this week on the things that maybe God is speaking to you as we uh, travel through the, the scriptures together this morning. As you know, we've been in a series entitled, Who Do You Say I Am? And we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And as we began this series, we said that Mark is writing his gospel with a very specific purpose to reveal to us the very person of Jesus and who God is. He begins in Mark chapter 1, very specifically stating that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants us to know it without equivocation that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come and the one who will restore us in our relationship with him. And then what he does as we go through the succeeding chapter, we get the story of Jesus coming, but then his traveling in relationship with his disciples as he reveals to them who he is and who God is, ultimately with the purpose of proving to us in some sense that Jesus is who he said he is. And so what Mark desperately desires is that through the person of Jesus is that we would come to know God and in so doing that we would have faith in him. And uh, I have loved going through this series because what we have seen is that Jesus has been progressively, chapter by chapter, we've been revealing the extent of his authority, helping us to understand more of who he is as God son. And I just want to give you kind of a quick recap of where we've been. Letter A in your notes, if you're following along with me, is that the first thing we've seen was his authority over human sickness and infirmity. In Mark chapter 2, we get the uh, story of the uh, healing of the paralytic, the young man who is lowered down through a roof uh, to Jesus, and Jesus heals him, tells him to get up, take his mat, and walk, uh, but also an interesting interaction that happens between 
uh, the, uh, between Jesus and the Pharisees, and we'll come back to a little bit later, where he uh, also says that he forgives him of his sin, that his sin is forgiven, and that he has the authority to do that. But what we see here in the very beginning and that the disciples are experiencing is that Jesus has authority over human sickness and infirmity, and they're seeing people healed of all different types of diseases and afflictions. Then, letter B, as we continue through uh, the book of Mark, we see even his authority over nature. In Mark chapter 4, we looked at the passage where Jesus, uh, after spending some time in Capernaum and doing some ministry there, told his disciples, let's get on a boat, go to the other side, get a little bit of rest. But while they're out on the lake, a huge windstorm comes up to the point that the disciples believe they are going to perish in the sea. And they freak out and they call Jesus. And Jesus stands up at the edge of the boat. And it says that he commanded the wind and the waves to stop and on a dime they stop and his disciples if you remember it tells us that they were fearful of the storm but then that fear transitioned to a fear of who is this man that even the wind and the waves will obey him then if you fast forward just maybe, I don't know, a few minutes, a few hours as Jesus' disciples are traversing the lake and then they head in their boat into land, they come into an area of the Decapolis on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and immediately they encounter a demon-possessed man. And in Mark chapter 5, we see revealed Jesus' authority over the demonic realm. That this man who has been plagued by a legion of demons causing havoc everywhere of which no no one could subdue him. Jesus comes, has this interaction, and immediately sets him free, and his life is changed and transformed. We then see, as we continued last week in Mark chapter 6, letter D, that Jesus had authority over the physical realm as well. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus, with his disciples, takes a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish and uses it to feed a multitude, 5,000 people, uh, so that there, and, and that there was so much food left over. Piece by piece by piece, Mark, but as well as Jesus, Mark's just telling the story, Jesus is revealing more and more of the extent of the authority that he has. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be one of his disciples that was like called to leave your job and then like all of a sudden you're watching him heal people, you're watching him have control over nature, the demonic realm, the physical realm, like he is doing some incredible stuff, but let her eat. What Mark is now going to walk us into here in Mark chapter 7 is this, is that Jesus also is the authority on God's word and what makes a person pure before God. What's going to happen as we get into this chapter together is that Jesus is going to have an interesting encounter between this himself, his disciples, and the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees were considered to be the uh, experts, if you will, in what it meant to have a pure religion before God. They were the experts of the day. But in this chapter, Jesus is going to bluntly tell them that their extreme dedication to what they thought was pure religion was actually missing the whole point. And honestly, quite empty. Now, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment, uh, if I were to walk up to somebody that we would consider an expert or an authority on a matter, like Michael Jordan. Well, there's been much debate over the last many years who is the GOAT in basketball, the greatest of all time. Is it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And let me just ask, how many people would say LeBron James? Okay, how many people say Michael Jordan? Right, you LeBron people, rah, you know. 
Michael Jordan was one of the most incredible basketball athletes of all time. Now, if I were to walk up to Michael Jordan, I mean, what would it seem like if I were to walk up to Michael Jordan and tell him that he knew absolutely nothing about basketball? I mean, you'd have to be a fool to say something like that. Well, what about this? I know we don't like this guy, but Tom Brady, right? Considered to be the GOAT in football. Well, some of you do, not I. But considered to be the GOAT. I mean, the records that this guy has set are incredible. What if I were to walk up to Tom Brady and look at him and say, you know nothing about being a quarterback in the NFL? He'd look at me like I'm crazy. What if you were to walk up to Carrie Underwood and tell her she knows absolutely nothing about singing? Have you heard me sing in the shower? It's not good. What about walking up to Warren Buffett and looking at him and saying, Warren Buffett, you know absolutely nothing about business. Or even better, walking up to The Rock and looking him dead in the eye and saying, you know nothing about muscle gain. (laughs) Right? I mean, you would have to be foolish to do something like that, right? Well, Mark chapter 7, Jesus is talking to the spiritual experts of the day. Considered by the Jews to be the authority, or if you will humor me, the goats, the greatest of all time, when it came to having a pure religion before God. But Jesus tells them that they don't know anything. And in the process, what he does is he redefines for the spiritual leaders, for the Jews of that day, his disciples, but even for us through the pages of Scripture, he redefines the heart of pure religion before God. And he helps us to understand what it is that God really desires from us. And so as we dig into the scripture, if you have your Bibles, let's begin and look together at Mark chapter 7, where Jesus and the disciples are going to have a run-in with the goats of the law, the greatest of all time. And this is quite the interaction that takes place. It begins in Mark 7 verse 1, where it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Let's stop there. I know it's kind of like right in the middle of a sentence, but stop with me for just a moment. It tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees that are present have come up from Jerusalem. We see that Jesus in in chapter two of the book of Mark begins having interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees where they are criticizing him at the beginning of chapter two for dining with sinners. But throughout that chapter, we begin to see these type of interactions happening with Jesus and the religious leaders. They're constantly watching him, trying to catch him, breaking the law. So when he forgives the sin of the paralytic, it strikes them as, you can't do that, only God can do that. He's the only one to have that authority. When he's eating with sinners, they're dismayed by him eating in an impure situation. They question him about fasting in chapter 2, where his disciples are not fasting, while the Pharisees and the religious leaders and John's disciples are. But even more so in chapter 2, they are becoming dismayed because the crowds are beginning to gather big. They are following Jesus everywhere, not only because of the authority of the miracles that he's performing, but the authority that is in his teaching that is different than anything they have ever experienced. And then we see in chapter 3 this place where it tells us that the teachers of the law again come up from Jerusalem. One of the first places we see this, that there is this delegation that is sent. What I want you to see is this, letter A, that they came from Jerusalem implies 
This word that they came from Jerusalem implies that word is spreading and the center of opposition is actually coming from the top of the Jewish religion. Jesus literally has threatened the status quo. He is increasingly becoming popular. And for the Pharisees, this is not good. They're the popular ones. They're the goats. They're the ones that know it all. They're the ones that everybody is supposed to be following their teaching. Who's this guy, Jesus? So the status quo has been threatened. And word has reached from the Galilee in the north, where Jesus and his disciples are, all the way down to the center of Judaism in Jerusalem, to the point that there's so much concern that they send a delegation up to not only see what's happening with their own eyes, but also to look for a way to bring Jesus down. As we continue to read, we see that not only are they there, but in verse 2 it continues that they saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. What I want you to see letter B is this, is what Mark is doing is an explaining that the religious leaders had an issue with the disciples' dirty hands. Now, think of it in these terms. Like this, this past week, uh, I've been doing a lot of work around the house, yard work, getting ready for the grad party that we held for our son yesterday. And while I was doing that yard work, my hands got pretty dirty. And then I went to spray paint some letters uh, for, for my wife that we were going to put up on this board for our son. I was using black paint and literally covered my hands in black paint in the process. And, you know, as I walk inside and it's time to eat, everybody's looking at me like, you're going to eat with those dirty hands? And I sat there and I got to the sink and I began began to scrub as hard as I could, and it took an incredibly long time to scrub that paint off of my hands and to get my hands clean so that I could go and eat. Scrubbed and scrubbed. Would have made my mom incredibly proud because anytime I came to eat as a child, I never washed my hands, and she was always on me. We might think about this idea of the religious leaders having this interaction saying, hey, everybody's eating, your disciples doesn't wash your hands. It would be common for us to think, well, maybe this is a hygiene issue, but the, the uh, accusation against the disciples was not about hygiene. It was about ceremonial impurity. It was about a religious ritual cleansing according to tradition, specifically the tradition, it says, of the elders. And what reveals this to us is it says that their hands were defiled. That Greek word for uh, defiled uh, it means anything that is ritually impure or unworthy of God's presence. But here's the interesting thing. They're accusing them of being ceremonial, impure, impure before God. But what interests me is that the Old Testament law said nothing about washing your hands before eating a meal. Like it's, it's just not in there. You can go look for yourself. As scribes, though, would study the priests in the Old Testament and how they were required to wash hands before entering the, the tent of meeting or before they would go and offer sacrifices, they would then begin to apply that to everyone, and soon everyone was washing their hands. But it wasn't found in God's law. 
What they did then is that they also applied this in other places. When they came up from the marketplace, you had to wash your hands, washing your cups, washing your pots, the copper vessels, and the dining couches. And I read dining couches, and I'm like, I need a dining couch. So, I mean, seriously, I, I just, that just really strikes me as cool. But anyway, that's, that's my aside for the, for the morning. But then in Mark 7, verse 5, it says that the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? And what this reveals, let us see, is that the religious leaders' question revealed that they had elevated their thoughts and traditions above God's word. It was far more important, their traditions, than God's word. You see, oral tradition had developed alongside of God's word, and the religious leaders had developed their own sets of rules. And to be honest, in some regard, they, they developed these sets of rules because they wanted to protect the people from even coming close to breaking God's law, and so they set out all these rules. But what they did in the process was created an incredibly burdensome, but even kind of twisted and distorted way of worshiping God that was based on performance, not on the heart. And that's really the even bigger problem that's here is that their thoughts and their traditions became more important than what God actually said. You know, when I was uh, a kid, I was the king of making up my own rules when it came to playing games. Has anybody here that's had children or played games with kids ever realized how they can change the rules on a dime to make sure they win? right? Seriously. Um, I, I experienced that with my own kids when I was a kid. Like, it didn't matter if I was playing shoots and ladders, if I was playing Candyland, Monopoly, Risk, even basketball out on the court. Uh, I would make up my own rules on a dime if I felt like I wasn't going to win because it would serve my own self-purposes, making sure that I and in order to pass it through, I'd always say, no, 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 you don't understand. These are the street rules, and you know why you say that? Because when you say it's the street rules, it gives you some cred, right? Somehow that's supposed to be believable. Well, in the midst of this, I would do that in order to guarantee that I would win. It would serve my self-purpose. And over the years, I've actually found that this type of thinking is planted in the heart of every human being. My own kids make up their own rules to win games. But when we dig below the surface of what's happening here with the religious leaders and their rules that they added to God's word what we see is it was driven by the same things, a desire to justify their own self-centeredness. It was fueled by their self-righteousness, and it served their own personal interests, irrespective of what God's word said. And just an interesting thought as I read through this passage this week is that in the church today, I believe there are many times where we see the same exact danger running rampant that it is very easy for us to take God's word and to change it and to add our own rules into it in order to justify our own self-centeredness or to fuel our self-righteousness or to serve our own interests. Sometimes it's glaring when you have pastors that'll come out and teach God loves everybody and it doesn't matter what you do, everybody's gonna get to heaven and we go, no, can't change the rules. But every single day in our lives, if we really begin to think about it, we constantly face the temptation to tweak the rules to fit what is most expedient for us. And most often it happens in the area of our own holiness. 
that we change the rules of the game and we ignore what God's word teaches because it's more palatable. You see, the things that they were dealing with in some sense are the things that we still wrestle with today. But what we need to see is that Jesus harshly and pointedly corrects the experts on religious life. As we continue in Mark chapter 7 together in verse 6, look at the very first part of verse 6. His words are this. He said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Now, A, what Jesus does here is he rightly defines the religious leaders as imposters. There's a couple things I want to note. What's interesting to me is here's a group of people and the religious leaders that are desperately trying to catch Jesus. And if you noticed that they frame it by going after his disciples. They don't necessarily look at Jesus and go, hey, why aren't you washing your hands or breaking the rules? They go after his disciples. The disciple, maybe Jesus had already done his, his little washing, but his disciples hadn't. But they know intuitively, because Jesus is their rabbi, that whatever they do that's wrong reflects directly on him. And so now they're coming after Jesus with this accusation through his disciples. And what does Jesus do? He literally goes for the jugular with the goats of the day. He says, you are nothing but hypocrites. The Greek word for hypocrite that's here means uh, a play actor. In other words, someone who claimed to be one thing but was actually another. Essentially, Jesus tells those who were considered to be the religious goats that they are nothing more than fakes and frauds. Literally, that they are imposters. While they are trying to show off that they are religious elite, that honestly, in their own lives and hearts, they are completely empty before God. He continues in verse 6 through verse 8, and he says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. What we see, letter B, is that they performed religious actions for themselves apart from having spiritual affection for God. And I want you to think deeply on that. They performed religious actions for themselves apart from having spiritual affection for God. Jesus says, you honor me with your lips. This is what Isaiah said. You honor me with your lips. You're really good at saying the right things. You've got this look and this air about the way that you carry yourself and the way that you interact with others that makes you look like the religious elite, like you've got it all together. But though you say the right things, your hearts are far from me. You may say the right thing, but your heart is not for God. Your heart is for yourself. And that's an interesting and a very harsh accusation that Jesus makes because the religious leaders, their own religion had become more about them than it was about God. Think about how easy it is to fall into that type of religion today. Ponder that for a minute, if you will. I'll give you one example. When we walk into church, when you come in here every Sunday morning, what are you thinking? What is going through your mind? Are you thinking thoughts like, what am I going to get out of this experience today? Just one example that I would use is that of worship. 
I have heard this phrase numerous times from people in the church, and I have used it myself at different times, where when we think about the idea of worship on a Sunday morning, how many times have we said or heard someone say, the worship wasn't very good today? I want that to sit on you for a second. What does that mean? The worship wasn't very good today. Is that worship that's about me or is it about God? You know, we can say things like that and really what we're saying is I didn't like the songs. The music was too loud or it was too quiet. The songs weren't my flavor and so it didn't inspire me. But what's worship? Is worship about what I get? Or is worship about what I have come to give? It's just one example. I've told you guys before, years ago, I went to a Hillsong concert, super excited because I loved Hillsong. And uh, the song Cornerstone was brand new. Like, man, when the big Samoan guy, I can never remember his name, sings that song, it's like the angels in heaven are just like opening up the gates and letting it flow, right? And I was so pumped to go and hear this guy sing this song. And I get in there and they have some like tiny little white dude who has no voice like this guy sing the song. And I was so depressed. I was like, are you kidding me? And I couldn't worship. Why? And the Lord literally hit me upside the head in this arena arena full of people singing to the Lord saying, you've made this about you, not about me. And I walked away from that experiencing experience constantly with this reminder that worship is not, whether it's singing or it's any other form, it is not about me. It is about God. When we come to church, is it about you and what you can get? Or is it about who you have come to worship and what you have come to bring him? Some of the most intimate times of musical worship I've ever experienced have been in foreign countries with broken instruments and really bad voices and a language that I don't understand because it's not about what I'm getting out of it. It's expressing my heart of love for God. Much like the religious leaders, it's easy to give lip service to God and say all the right things, but to make the Christian life all about ourselves. And in the process, we don't allow ourselves to truly give our heart to Christ because we've given it to so many other things that will serve our own self-interests. And what does Jesus say of the religious leaders who had done this? In vain do they worship me. Think about that. Your worship amounts to nothing. It is worthless and it is empty. And then he continues in verse 9 and he says, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained for me is Corban that is given to God, then you uh, no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things. Let her see what they also were doing is this, is that they saw uncleanness in others, but they refused to see it in themselves. 
They were really good at pointing out other people's faults. The disciples, Jesus, any of the common Jews, if you weren't following not just God's law, but all of their special rules and traditions, then you were being pointed out. And they would do this while turning their own blind eye to their own sinfulness. So Jesus gives them here in this passage a very clear example of how they distorted God's word to suit their own self-interest. He said, you've heard that it said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. It was an expectation that a person, when their parents would come uh, to being older in age, that they would take care of them. And if that meant utilizing their own resources in order to do that, that was an expectation, something they would do. That was how you would honor your father and mother. But what he says is, is you've made a special rule to try to circumnavigate what God's law actually says. You have said, well, if you don't want to give up your possessions to take care of your parents, you can claim them as Corbin, in other words, dedicated to God. Here's what that meant. Your possessions were yours for a lifetime. You could use them however you want, but when you die, they were dedicated to God, and therefore they would go to the temple or to the service of the Lord. But you could do that in some sense to protect from having to use it on your parents. And that was a rule that they themselves had come up with on their own. And Jesus looks at them and goes, you have made void the word of God by your own tradition. You are pointing a finger at everybody else, but you refuse to look into your own life and into your own heart. And then he says, many such things you do. And I think this is such a good point for us to have some self-reflection this morning. How easy is it for us to see the sins of other people while ignoring our own? If you spend more time thinking about, talking about, gossiping about, Facebooking about, tweeting about the sins of other people, if you can sit through a sermon thinking about how it applies to another person without hardly batting an eye about how God is wanting to speak into your life, then I'd warn you, if you do these things more than you do in humble, reflective, self-reflective repentance before the Lord, then you should see the flashing danger sign ahead that says you have likely fallen into the sin of the Pharisees. We have become in our culture so quick to judge other people without ever stopping to look inside of our own hearts. And this is exactly what the Pharisees did and Jesus calls them out for. And then with incredible authority, Jesus sets the record straight about pure religion that is pleasing to God. In Mark 7 verse 14, he says these words that he called the people to him again and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? What we see, letter A, is that Jesus is clearly telling us what we don't need is more relentless attempts to clean our hands. 
It's not about how we follow the rules. It's not what goes in that defiles you. The Pharisees were so focused on the outside that they were bypassing the very heart. I've used the example for years of taking a refrigerator, and if you had a refrigerator with the nasty smell that's coming out of it, sweet, pungent, disgusting smell, you would not go grab a bottle of Windex and a rag and just shine up the outside of it. Your friends would look at you like you were foolish because you're not really fixing anything. You may look, the outside may look great, but the inside is rotting and dead. To truly clean that refrigerator, you got to open that sucker up, take out what is dead, and cleanse the inside. And this is a picture of what Jesus is actually saying here with the Pharisees. You have done everything you can with your mouths, the way that you follow all of these rules in your own strength, in your own power, but all you're doing is shining up the inside rather than allowing God to transform your heart. We don't need more relentless attempts to cleanse our hands. And in the church, we do this all the time. If I go to church more, read my Bible more, if I pray more, if I try to be a good person, if I give more money, if I do all of these good Christian deeds, then maybe that will make me good enough for God. But the truth is, is that no matter how much we do, all of us are unclean before a holy God. What we don't need are relentless attempts to whitewash the outside. But Jesus says in Mark 7 verse 20, That he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from where? Within. And they defile a person. Letter B, what do we need? We don't need more relentless attempts to clean our hands. What we need and what God desires is for Jesus to change our hearts. Evil thoughts come from an evil heart. Sexual immorality comes from a sinful heart. Theft comes from a heart of greed. Murder comes from a heart that has been overcome by hatred. We could go on and on through this list. Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, you name it, all of it emanates from the heart. No matter how many times you wash your hands on the outside, you can't make yourself clean on the inside. But this is the good news. When Jesus says these words, he is setting the record straight. He is literally changing. I mean, it's revolutionary what he's saying to them. He's changing the bar and reminding them it's not about following rules and regulations. It's about giving your heart to God. And this is why he came. Mark tells us that Jesus is the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's come to reconcile us to God because we couldn't do it ourselves. Jesus came to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin that if we would give him our heart and yield our hearts to him in faith, that we would be transformed from the inside out. He's come to take away the sin of the world. And the Pharisees missed this. It was even all over the Old Testament. If you were to look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, as the prophet speaks to the people of Israel, listen to the words that God speaks over his people. These are things the Pharisees should have known. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. 
and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, it had been made clear throughout the centuries. We see all throughout the Old Testament that though there are rules that God set up that were meant to guide people towards God, it wasn't about following the rules to be good enough and pleasing to God because it says throughout the Old Testament what God desires is not sacrifice, but what? A contrite heart. He wants your heart. Because when he has your heart and you fall in love with God and your deepest desires to love and honor him, it is then that his spirit can change you from the inside out to where you're not running the rat race trying to follow a set of rules to be good enough for God, but he is transforming you day after day as you love him and yield yourself to him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. I say to you this morning that what Mark wants us to see as we look at this passage of scripture, as we read Jesus' words and interactions with the religious leaders, is he wants to remind us, not only in the time in which he was speaking, but throughout the centuries into today, it's so easy for us to get caught up in a Christian life that is about following rules and trying to be good enough and never really yielding our heart to God. How easy is it for you to go through the motions of the Christian life in our culture today and not spend time with God and not allow him to change your heart and to not take time to self-reflect and say, God, what do you need to change in me before I ever look at another person? What he wants you to know is that he is after this because when he has this, he can change you. And so this morning, Will you make that decision to say, I give my heart to you, Jesus. I don't want to do what the world has maybe even been modeling for me of trying so hard to just go through the motions, but I want to yield it all to you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for giving us this picture to see what pure religion before you is. It's not about going through the motions. It's not about doing good things. It's not about the rules. It's about giving our hearts to you because we love you. And then you promise to change and transform us from the inside out. And God, I know and I believe that there are people here that need this word this morning and that your spirit is speaking into their heart, that there are people here who have never placed their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, you are telling them this morning that I am the answer to everything that you have ever needed and ever desired. And it's not about just following a set of rules, but following in love with me and allowing me to change and transform your life. There are people here, God, who have been Christians for years and years and struggling, struggling, Lord, to surrender their heart to you, allowing ourselves, Lord, to be so caught up in so many other things in this world, but not truly loving you. I thank you for your word this morning because it brings us back to that solitary place of understanding in a very clear way that what you have always wanted from your people from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when sin came into this world is that you simply want our hearts, that we would love you more than anything else in this world. 
then you can do your greatest work. So God, would you do that work here this morning in us as we yield ourselves and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this last song of worship together this morning, I just want to continually create uh, an atmosphere and a place for us to respond and surrender to the Lord. And every single Sunday, this, this, uh, these steps, this altar is open, that if God is speaking to you and you want to make a declaration that I want to accept Jesus, my Lord and Savior, or there is something that God is speaking to me and I want to go forward and I just want to pray and have people pray with me. During the song, you can come forward. At the close of our service, our prayer team would love the opportunity to pray with you as well. But let's Get out of the regular routine of I go to church, I hear, sing a few songs, do a message, go home and get on with my week. But let's receive the word of God and allow him to change and transform our hearts and respond. Let's worship. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless grace. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and Take myself and I will be 
service this morning. Again, if there's any prayer needs that you have, our prayer team would love that opportunity to pray with you. We'll meet you here up front at the close of our service, or you can head over to our prayer room as well. As we close, I just want to close and read this uh, passage of Scripture over you out of Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And Lord, please come quickly. But until that day comes, may we be found yielding our hearts to God and allowing him to transform us from the inside out and then encouraging and lifting and building one another up that we might go outside of these doors and be a light to others of the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Be prayerful this week as we uh, encounter our VBS week and our mission teams head out. Pray for God's spirit to move and to change and transform hearts and look for opportunities for God to use you. God bless you. We'll see you guys next week.